This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. Anyone can become an agent of innovation. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Welcome to Trillions. I'm Joel Weber. And I'm Eric Balchunas. Eric, there's a country that just hosted the G20, and it's been in a lot of the headlines this year. And so I felt like it was a good time for us to talk about India. Yeah. Um, in fact, the ETFs, India ETFs are doing very well. They've taken in about $2 billion. That's, you know, something around 20 25% organic growth. So a lot of international has kind of cooled off this year, but India is still pretty hot. You know, this is why it's great being an ETF analyst role. You get to go everywhere. And uh, I've been to India a few times in terms of like focusing on it, writing about it. And when I think of India, I think of a couple things. First, you hear they've got a really young population, like half the country of one point, like 4 billion people is under the age of 25. They're pretty tech savvy. Their leader, Modi, is pretty business oriented. Um, and they've got a lot of consumers. This is sort of the story you hear. Um, and one thing I always remember about India is Jeff Gunlock, the famous bond manager, said in 2015, I recommend buying India and then not looking at your statement for 25 years. So I went and looked. He said that about eight years ago. India is up 86% since then. Now, the U.S. is up more, but you're doing pretty good, Joel. But there is a lot of volatility. India can have a really bad year or a bad stretch um, as an emerging market country. So it's just interesting to, you know, all these things are available to you via ETFs. And there's, you know, about a dozen India ETFs. And I think it's a good time to, to revisit India. And joining us on this episode, we're going to have Kevin Carter of INQQ, which is the India Internet and E-Commerce ETF. He's with EMQQ Global, as well as Rebecca Sin, an ETF analyst with Bloomberg Intelligence. This time on Trillions, revisiting India. Kevin, Rebecca, welcome to Trillions. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Okay, Rebecca, Eric mainly focuses on the U.S., and you focus on Asia and, and some international. So I just want to start with you. Give me a context of like what India and ETFs look like. So India is having a milestone moment where they hosted their first ever G20 summit. And they're showing that they're really a clear leader for Asian investors, India is really taking away a lot of the flows from China at the moment. International companies are seeking supply chain diversification to India with Apple supplier Foxconn building plants in India. iPhone is shifting some of their plants to India away from China. And a few interesting stats about India is that more than half of their population is under the age of 30. They have the largest youth unemployment rate in the world, but they're also the fastest growing large economy. They rank third by highest number of billionaires, 
But on a per capita income, they rank 10th. So to put this into perspective, the U.S. GDP per capita is 76,000, while India is only 2.3,000. So that's a huge difference. Uh, mainland China, for instance, is 12,700 and Japan is 43,000. So India is growing at very rapid pace. Um, Their wealth is growing roughly 12% annually. And from a performance standpoint, MSCI, most of the Indian indices have performed roughly 10% this year. And from a funds perspective, India is one of the cheapest region by management fee. So on average, they only have 28 basis points, the average management fee on their products. And for the US, it's roughly 55 basis points. Hong Kong is 95 basis points. Taiwan is 75 basis points. So a lot of people are looking to India right now because not only is it performing well, but it's also a very cheap area to invest into. Okay, Kevin, I want to better understand something though, because earlier this year, a uh, short seller, Hindenburg Research, pretty much shook the world when he shorted a billionaire, an Indian billionaire, uh, Gautam Adani. So here we are in the aftermath of that. Yes, there's some reasons to be bullish on on India. I, I think the, the fact that the new iPhone is coming directly from Foxconn factories in India, um, in addition to, to China, is extremely noteworthy. So, so talk to us about why INQQ is a good idea for you? Well, I think that, you know, when you look at emerging markets, you know, the, the thing that's emerging are the people. You've got six and a half billion people and they're moving on up and they want stuff. They want more and better food, better clothing, appliances. They want to take vacations, go to movies, get automobiles or some other motorized vehicles, and they want their kids to go to college. And so that's that's the story. And that's been the story. And that'll continue to be the story. And India right now is not just the most exciting emerging market today, but it's kind of like the perfect emerging market. Um, And and the reason is that, and we saw this in China. I mean, this is basically like China 15 or 17 years ago when I first got involved with the emerging markets. And what's happening is those consumers, they're becoming consumers, but they're also experiencing two things that we've had for decades. First, they're getting their first ever computer, and it's not a desktop computer, and it doesn't have an Apple logo in most cases. The the sub $100 Android-based smartphone is bringing the computer to the world for the first time. And, you know, three months ago, I would have told you, you could get a brand new Android-based smartphone in India for $50, and that's still true, but now you can get one for $12. So Geo <laughs> Digital introduced the Geo Barta uh, smartphone, which is a $12 smartphone. It's you know it's not a $1,500 iPhone in terms of its capacity and power, but it works for you know making digital payments and watching video, which are the two primary things the Indian smartphone user wants to do right now. And in addition to being the first ever computer for these people, it's their first ever internet access. Again, when in, when China got to this stage, they barely had any personal computers, let alone there was no smartphones. Now India, you know, fifteen years later, fifteen years later, looks demographically like China did. You know, the, it's the biggest country, it's the youngest country, it's got the fastest growing economy, but it's also coming online when the the arc of technology is at a point where, you know, the smartphone, the supercomputer in the pocket is somewhat ubiquitous, and India represents the biggest part of that. To add to what Kevin said, there was a survey that was done and it said that every day, three individuals in India are expected to join the group of wealthy 
Indians whose net worth will be more than 30 million over the next five years. So every day, three people are going to join this net worth of more than 30 million. So in India, to Kevin's point, there's a huge um, retail adoption, mainly because of their use of digital payments. And so India is one of the world's leading digital payments. And in India, they have this systematic investment plan. It's similar to a 401k in the US, but you can start depositing fixed amounts at a regular interval. And in India, you can deposit as little as six US dollars per month. And so this plan has really helped a lot of the Indian funds get tons of inflows. And so roughly the estimate is this year, 19 billion of equity inflows are as a result of this fund. And this is with the use of technology because everyone's getting a smartphone they're now able to invest more easily while previously they'd have to go to a bank um so kevin i did some research for this podcast believe it or not troll i do research for these um and i was listening to these vc guys talk about india and they had said two things that stuck out to me i want to get your reaction to this because all this sounds so good it sounds like an investor's dream right he said two things a couple things ready one is only 30 million credit cards are in the country so people don't use credit, which I, I, it's got to limit how fast an economy can grow. Um, the other thing he said was they, they tried to set up a Shopify type company there and it failed because there's, there's just no way to get stuff to people quickly like here where there's streets and everything's very much uh, like there's a postal service or UPS or FedEx. And so that company that did Shopify actually switched gears and did a courier uh, service that uh, grouped a bunch of couriers together to make the infrastructure first before you could even attempt to Shopify. So I guess it did this, what I heard, laid a, a rougher landscape, not quite as tech-oriented and not quite as ready. Well, Eric, this is the secret sauce of the India story. And to be frank with you, you know, I've been investing in emerging market internet companies since they started um, again, mainly in China, where this all started as well. And actually, the things that you've pointed out are part of what I think are the uh, upsides beyond the expectations. Um, the, the credit market, as you mentioned, is is very, very small. And the, you know, very few people had a bank account. And, and, and even to go a step further, you know, almost nobody had a government identification card 15 years ago. And so it's hard to modernize your economy if nobody has a digital payments uh, form and nobody has an identification. But, but this is, this is going to change and it's already changing. And it's because of the digital public infrastructure they've built, which again, is the secret sauce, the so-called India stack. And, and what I believe is that that growth of consumer credit is actually going to happen. It's not going to happen with traditional credit cards and traditional banks, and it's going to happen with digital providers. And what's uh, exciting about that is if, and these are you know numbers I've seen from economists that have studied this closely, but if, if China's, or rather if India is able to develop its consumer credit market to look more like a you know developed world it could add two or three full percentage points to the country's growth rate and that's one thing i think that uh you know i think it's quite possible that the growth estimates for india are understated because of the power of this digital platform they've built for the country and the potential introduction of consumer credit now to your second point about logistical challenges, yes, this is 
you know, one of the things that I saw 17 years ago when I got, you know, focused on emerging markets was that China and India were actually pretty close. China was a little bit ahead of India, but not very far. And But what you could see was China was building the world's greatest infrastructure to uh, create products and get them uh, to the water and onto a boat. And they've got the world's best infrastructure. And India has lagged in that. And that certainly includes higher logistics costs. Um, and I think the reality is that the Indian e-commerce market is, is going to look different than uh, the other you know, e-commerce markets out there, and it's going to be a hyper-localized. So if you think about, you know, where is commerce happening now in India, 90% of, you know, consumer spending happens, you know, retail spending at the 13 million mom and pop Karana stores, which are like, you know, bodegas with a couple hundred items. And while, you know, more form formal retail has gone to India. It hasn't really, you know, taken much share. So ninety percent is still in these mom and pop stores. And what's uh, what's already happening is you're going to see a hyper localized e-commerce market where rather than replace the mom and pop stores with a, you know, first a Target store, then an Amazon, they're going to leapfrog. And indeed, those mom and pops are going to be an important part of the e-commerce story in India. And that's again already happening, and they're getting digitized. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents, people who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 Index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. So how do you build a portfolio um, to capture what your this growth opportunity that you're describing, Kevin? Well, you know, as has been my long conviction that if you're going to invest in emerging markets, you want to invest in the consumer story. But what makes that consumer story even more exciting uh, in emerging markets in India is that it's they're leapfrogging the bank account, the credit card, and going straight to mobile phone based money. They're leapfrogging, you know, all of those. Um, that consumption infrastructure we take for granted. And 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 so the internet companies have been the best way to invest in the United States. They've been the best way to invest in China. And I am quite confident they will be the best way to invest in in India. The, you know, the expectations are that India's economy will 
you know, nearly double by the end of the decade, but the internet economy is going to grow 500% in that period. So I think that it's, you know, just as we've seen all over the world, the internet companies lead the way in growth. And, and one of the other advantages in emerging markets and in India in particular is that if you look at, you know, the existing market cap and where are the companies, you have companies like Adani and these large family controlled conglomerates that may be somewhat opaque. Well, with the internet companies, and this isn't just in India, this is in Brazil and everywhere else, that basically the founders are going to the best colleges of the world and then they're working for Google or Microsoft or, or Apple or whoever, and then they get their MBAs at the best colleges in the world and then they start these companies and they're clean. They start them from scratch. They're funded by US or local institutions. And so the capital formation process of the internet companies, I think lends to better corporate governance in a part of the world where that's one of your biggest problems. And the other and important thing I would say is, you know, when I got involved with China 15 years ago, the first question I had for our portfolio managers was, give, you know, give me a list of all the companies in the China ETF. Because when I was first asked to help people invest in China, I assumed that we would buy the FXI, which was the only China ETF on the planet. And I was horrified when I saw that the holdings of the FXI were 80% government-owned banks and oil companies. And so if you look back now and say, okay, yes, you know, it, looking out from 2005, say, oh, yes, it looks like China is going to grow a lot. And it did. Its economy grew, you know, more than 400%. But if you bought the FXI, you lost half your money. So now if we take the India story, we say, okay, India looks like it's going to grow. It, you know, everything looks good. Its population's young. Its economy's growing fast. And those things are all true. But if you look at the India index, the broad indexes, the MSCI, the Nifty 50, they're not as bad as the China ETF. They're about 7% state-owned enterprises. These are, again, government-owned banks and oil companies. China has kept their SOEs more you know, relevant. India has let their SOEs, um, the state-owned enterprises, get eaten by capitalism or acquired and so forth. So it's only about 7% of the India index. But another problem is that their biggest companies, the Infosys, Tata, these companies that are about 20% of the index and the largest holdings, they're not really, you know, capturing the India growth story. They get almost 100% of their revenue from the Fortune 500, you know, doing outsourcing for U.S. companies. So if you take that 20% and the 7% SOEs, yes, India is going to grow a lot. But I think if you really want to capture the growth, there's a better way to do it than just to buy the traditional broad index that, you know, is usually the problem in emerging markets. Um, yeah, let's let's jump into that real quick because most people probably get their India through an emerging markets ETF, right? So IMG and VWO are very popular. India is seventeen percent uh, weighting in in IMG, so that's a good chunk. Now, your fund INQQ has almost no overlap with the stocks in IMG, so I definitely agree that. <laughs> It just seems like if you are going to go, you have a differentiated exposure, probably more volatile uh, than a straight India ETF. But what's the problem? I guess you're going to probably be a little bit redundant, but 
do, do you think people should add on to their emerging markets ETF with INQQ or don't even buy an emerging markets ETF and go pick just tech versions of these countries? You know, the, the biggest problem in emerging markets is the index itself. I mean, everybody looks at the MSCI index and they and they use that as their barometer of you know whether or not you can make money in emerging markets. And they look at that to, to reference valuations, and it's a big problem. I think it's the biggest value trap in the world because the P, you know the PE looks really low, but if you look underneath the hood and you see the Agricultural Bank of China and Petrobras, you know these government-owned businesses that aren't on your side, I think it becomes clear that you don't, you know, you don't, you're not going to optim, op, optimize your returns by buying the broad traditional index, and you have to get more targeted. That could be as easy as leaving out the SOEs. There's a, a large ETF that is, you know, emerging markets without state-owned enterprises. But I think that the real, you know, the tip of the spear of this, and you know, it, implicit in the word emerging is some sort of growth, and I can tell you with great conviction that where the growth is in India and in other emerging markets is in you know, smartphones and the internet economy. And again, it's this leapfrogging effect that's so powerful. And it's that leapfrogging the bank account and credit card, that first step that's the most powerful and important. Okay. All, all that said, you know, what kind of valuations are we looking at to buy this, right? So the S&P has a price to earnings ratio of about 25. What's India tech? What's INQQ? And is is it is the high valuation, which I'm guessing it has, um, a problem? Or is it something you should watch out for? Sure. Well, um, valuation, of course, is quite important. And, and when I look at valuation, I don't care about the P.E. ratio. I, I care about the PEG ratio. The P.E. without the growth rate doesn't mean anything to me because I'm buying the future. So I want to know what the future earnings look like, not the current or past. Um, and you know, the one thing about India is because it looks so good. I mean, as mentioned, the, the, the fundamental case, the biggest population, the youngest population, the fastest growing economy, a middle class that's exploding, uh, fastest growing e-commerce market, a, 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 um, a government that in a you know very troubled geopolitical world is in this very um, tranquil relative spot um, and, uh, you know, not part of the China tensions or the Russian tensions. And the valuations reflect this. I mean, you pay a high price for a cheery consensus, and and there's lots of people saying yes, India has a bright future. So when you look at the broad index, the valuations are amongst the highest in the world on on a relative basis. And you know, Burton likes to use the the Schiller Cape ratios, and I know that on his chart, it's always the U.S. first, India second in terms of valuations. And another thing that's happening is as Rebecca mentioned, is there's a lot of money getting funneled into the index funds, into the ETFs. The government program is funneling a lot of money into that relatively narrow index. They're using the Nifty 50, not the MSCI, which is what the U.S. you know largest ETF tracks. And so the valuations of the broad index are high. And the, the PE is you know 21 or 22. And the earnings growth rate might be you know 11%, so you've got a peg ratio of two-ish um, or, or higher actually, because they're actually the the, the rev and on a revenue growth basis, the peg ratio for the India broad market is about three to three and a half. And when I look at the internet companies, the peg ratio is about one 
to one and a half. And um, so, and I think that perhaps the reason that the valuations are more reasonable is it doesn't have that forced buy. You don't have all the, you know, all the flows that are going to the ETF that are buying that narrow list of stocks. And as you pointed out, most of the internet companies are not in the index, which has been a problem in a lot of emerging markets. And that's another problem with emerging market indexes is they don't, they don't seem to be paying attention to the internet companies because a lot of them end up listing in the United States or you know domiciling themselves outside of their markets where they're doing their business. Okay, Kevin, I've got one more question for you. It's one that we ask everybody on Trillions. Um, what is your favorite ETF ticker other than your own? Oh, geez. Um, I know what he's going to say. QQQ. I know it. I know it. I know it. Easy way out, but still, honestly, um, the Qs is a powerhouse and a juggernaut. You were actually smart to use the Qs in your tickers, in my opinion, given how famous and awesome that the the Qs are. But I had a feeling you'd guess that. You'd guess that. I don't know. I was right. I, I no one's ever asked me that before, but that just popped in my head. Good. Kevin, Rebecca, thanks for joining us on Trillions. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Trillions. Until next time, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you'd like to listen. We'd love to hear from you. I'm at Joel Weber Show. He's at Eric Balchunas. This episode of Trillions was produced by Magnus Hendrickson. Bye. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at cuttereconomicforum.com.